Welcome to Success with Style, everyone. I am Rob Giardinelli. Hi, everyone. I'm Lance Avery Morgan, and we are so delighted to have Annette Becker from the University of North Texas here with us talking about the uh, Fashion Forward exhibit at the Bob Bullock State History Museum and so many awesome, great, fashionable things. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk with you all in your audience. Yeah, you came from Denton, Texas. I did, yeah, which isn't a place that most people think of as being a, a fashion hotspot. So it's kind of exciting to come to Austin and get to share this part of our history. Well, it's a fashion hotspot because of the incredibly robust collection that you have. Let's let's jump in and talk about that. Let's talk about the collection and your your history with the museum and 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 all things fashion. Mm -hmm. Well, the Texas Fashion Collection I think is probably the the biggest and most influential fashion collection in the state and really even in the region. Yeah, we Maybe have in the country. I I would say it's top ten in the country yeah. easily. Oh, so I was going <laughs> to say higher than that, but okay. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to be modest, but you're pro you're probably right, especially with um, the depth of our collection with its history. So right now the Texas Fashion Collection has nearly twenty thousand historic and designer garments and accessories. Wow. Yeah, which is incredible. And that spans everywhere from a pre-Columbian textile fragment that's over uh -huh. a thousand years old to an evening dress created by a Native American designer um, named Marissa Mike that was created just last year. So we really wow. have a pretty broad um, you know, subset of the fashion world in our collection. Well, so can you tell us a little bit about the criteria of how you select, uh, you know, select an exhibit or select an item for your collection? You know, that's one of the most challenging parts of my work, to be honest. Um, yeah. We end up turning down about 95% of what people offer to us, and that's even after they've already selected things they think might be a good fit for our collection. Um, so the first criteria um, criterion that we really think about is design significance and innovation. Yeah. Because the Texas Fashion Collection is part of the College of Visual Arts and Design at the University yeah. of North Texas, we really think about design history first, mm -hmm. um, which means because we have dozens of Chanel suits and they all have a lot of similar design details, we often turn those down when people offer them to us because right. that type of design is already represented well in our collection. Right. But then we also have pieces that in our database, the designer is listed as grandma because sometimes people from outside of the fashion world aren't taught rules and they don't know that they're breaking them. So they do really innovative things with materials. They create new silhouettes, not knowing that they're kind of you know innovating in this, this broader world of fashion design. So yeah, wow. it's a, an interesting way of thinking about the world of fashion history. You know, especially being at the Bullock Texas State History Museum right now, we often think about Texas history. Um, and that's one way of framing the world of fashion history is thinking about like a region, thinking about social and cultural movements. But we usually start with design um, and then think about some of that social and cultural history secondarily. So this is a, a nice moment to bring both of those things together. Well, so tell us a little bit about how the uh, partnership with the Bullock Museum came to be? Well, I think the Bullock is a really special place because they really serve as a platform for so many collections to get to share their pieces, mm -hmm. which really brings this, you know, wide variety of voices to the, the Bullock's audience, which I think is really special. Um, we started working with them a few years ago, just lending pieces kind of one at a time for exhibitions that they do. Um, so right now we actually have some other pieces on view on a small exhibition um, about women's suffrage. Yeah, so I saw it. It's beautiful. Yes. The gorgeous. Yeah, which is such an exciting 
exciting thing that our pieces can be put in conversation yeah. with other collections too. And you know, we can tell different stories this way. Mm -hmm. um, but then in working with some of the curatorial staff here, um, they approached me about potentially curating an entire exhibition um, from our collection to, to debut in this space. How exciting though. It, it, and it's really a treat for us yeah. because this is a story that I think we've wanted to tell for a long time. And to have the space, the resources, the professional support mm -hmm. that the Bullet can offer. And you know, a, a community which includes you all to help celebrate this history. This is an exciting moment for us. Oh, we're it really to be is. A part of it. And we're thrilled to be a media sponsor and we're big supporters of both UNT as well as the Bullock State History Museum. So when we just saw you a few moments ago, you had your blue museum gloves. So you're you're already really Pun the excuse the pun neck deep into this. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, we're wrangling <laughs> mannequins, <laughs> editing labels. Yeah, it's incredible that when people come into museums, they often see this finished product. They see these mannequins with these garments that are beautifully mounted. Like you almost can't imagine anyone has ever touched them. They're so gorgeous. Right. But there's a lot of work behind the scenes, wrangling arms onto figures and carefully transporting. You know, a piece. We just installed a Valentino dress that mm -hmm. took four people to move it from the preparation area into the exhibition because wow, it was so grand exactly wow. and we have to be so careful because yep. when pieces are part of a museum we don't treat them the same way that we do garments in our own wardrobes right. um, so we have to wear things like nitrile gloves to make sure our sweat and oils from our skin don't get on the mm -hmm. garments right. you know there's a, a little bit of mental gymnastics yeah. that goes into moving from your own wardrobe to a fashion collection right absolutely so let's talk about the collection that you selected and helped select for the exhibition. How did that, tell us about that process and where you began and kind of the range of garments. Um, well, since I started in my current position as director of the TFC about three and a half years ago, I've tried to really dig into some of the history of our collection. Mm -hmm. And a big part of that history is that our collection was founded in 1938 by the Dallas-based department store Neiman Marcus, mm -hmm. which I'm sure you and your visitors are well aware yes. of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and our visitors here. Yes, absolutely. And they, they've been really great in helping develop our collection from the very beginning. Um, so our collection got its start in 1938 with Neiman Marcus collecting pieces that they sold in their store. And if you think about today in 2019, how hard it would be for us to pick one ensemble that mm -hmm. represents what's most important in the world of fashion today. Right. Mm -hmm. How incredible that, you know, some men in the retail world were, were able to decide in the 1930s what to start right. saving. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the starting point for our exhibition is thinking about where our collection got its start and then how that kind of put um, Dallas and Texas on the international map as far as fashion was concerned. Um, so the same year that our collection got at start, Neiman Marcus started the Neiman Marcus Award for Distinguished mm -hmm. Service in the Field of Fashion, mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of a big mouthful. It's a um, big deal, though. <laughs> exactly. Is. And it's been called the Oscars of Fashion. Yeah. So you can imagine how much buzz the Oscars gets that, you know, everyone's looking to see who wins the top awards. Right. It was the same way with the Neiman Marcus Award. And that brought um, international fashion figures to Dallas, yes. um, which is really important because in bringing those people to Dallas, then the international fashion press kind of turned their eyes towards our fair city. Mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, really exciting, yeah. putting Dallas on the map that way. Um, and that meant that Dallasites and people in Texas had access to garments that most people around the world would never get to see. There were style shows in Neiman Marcus, um, along with some of these um, people coming in um, to receive the award. There were big cultural events that lasted for two weeks. Fortnite. Fortnite, I exactly. <laughs> Fortnite, which was a great way for Neiman Marcus to help to share the retail culture 
with other uh, socioeconomic cultures. Like, so every many years, a country would be represented. Like, so if it was Switzerland as the Fortnite theme, you would have lots of Swiss manufacturers, you'd, and, and on and on and on with all these amazing countries. So really, Texans and people who came to Texas to see this, with, which there were a lot, learn more about the world around them, not just in their own backyard. Yeah, which is kind of incredible thinking about people in Texas having access to these things that maybe only people in small towns in Italy might know about or someone right. in Japan. Yes. Um, and then kind of the flip side of that is that all of these people were looking to Dallas and learning more about Texan history and culture. Mm -hmm. um, Stanley Marcus often hosted Western style, Western themed events mm -hmm. um, where he'd serve Coco Chanel baked beans or there would be a pistol shooting demonstration. With Christian Dior. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not highly expected by anyone. <laughs> But yeah, welcome to Texas, you know. So <laughs> what do you think is most unique about the style and fashion choices of a Texas woman? That's such a great question. And I, th I think some of the, the joy of considering that question is realizing the diversity and how people do present themselves here, that people really have a, a lot of space to express themselves and find their own style. So um, even in Dallas, you can find people who are interested in, in wearing Chanel suits. They're interested in wearing, mm -hmm. you know, very sophisticated pieces that have a really long history with really classic clean lines. Mm -hmm. um, but then also people who are kind of thinking on the cutting edge of what fashion can be, you know, thinking about designers um, like Japanese designers like Issei Miyake, who's represented right. in this exhibition. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's exciting that Texas fashion, especially through um, the designers that Neiman Marcus supported, you know, people in Texas had access to so many things. Um, they were really on the cutting edge of fashion in a way that people around the country really weren't, um, yeah. just because there are these innovators, these leaders in the fashion world here. So I yeah, think people we're- People who had a vision and wanted to right. share that vision. Don't you exactly. think that's part of the, the success is that kind of personality that went behind it? Absolutely, people willing to be bold, mm -hmm. which I love about being mm -hmm. in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of being bold, Annette is wearing a full length uh, evening gown today for our interview. <laughs> you look beautiful oh thank you <laughs> and carrying that in gloves is just and curating, and curating the valentino dress in gloves, gloves is yeah. gosh that's you come to play no, you're in your work does but very stylish in your work does oh thank you i think that's one of the fun parts of being a curator is that you know you're expected to project fashionability but often a lot of my work is you know hauling acid-free boxes and moving mannequins mm -hmm. around right. um, so this is by one of my favorite danish designers named mm -hmm. henrik viskob uh -huh. um, and he plays a lot with scale and is inspired by by um, Danish folk tradition. Um, so this dress has kind of an abstracted shape yeah, with this beautiful. like black and white white polka dotted motif all right. over it and some exposed seams. Um, so it's a, a little avant-garde, but it's really, uh, it has a really wide silhouette so I can move and be flexible. And there's a pair of wide leg pants underneath. So if I need to bend over to lift a mannequin off the floor, I'm you know still going to look appropriate. <laughs> yeah, <better. laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, how did your, um, how did your interest in fashion as a child, where did that originate from? I think I have kind of an unconventional story, to be honest. Um, I grew this is up the right place to tell <laughs> it. <laughs> um, as, as maybe some people in Texas could could relate, um, I grew up on a, a farm in a small town in rural western Kansas. Okay. Um, my hometown has yeah. 250 people. The closest Walmart's 90 miles away. Um, the closest wow. airport's a five-and-a-half-hour drive. Um, so I did not grow up around high fashion. I did not go grow mm. up around many museums. Um, so really, the high fashion was 
was not on my radar until well into being a college student at the University of Kansas. Um, I started out studying engineering, you know, as a good, Mm -hmm. you know, farmer's child would looking for a safe and secure um, income and professional path. Um, But I got kind of bored with engineering. Nothing against (laughs) our engineer listeners, because y'all are great people. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But I think they're like... I think part of my my math brain and thinking mm-hmm. spatially and yes. and logically really lends itself well to working in museums and nonprofits, right. but then also a thirst for challenge and questioning things and feeling like you always have to innovate. I really love the challenge of that. So I switched from engineering to art history, and then I um, kind of shifted to focus on fashion history because fashion is the art of our everyday lives. Yes. And having grown up in you know kind of the middle of nowhere <laughs> in some ways, fashion is something that I feel like speaks to everyone. It's something that I can think about with, you know, my own history. Growing up on a farm, I was not walking around with a bed sheet wrapped around me. I was wearing secondhand Laura Ashley dresses from my cousins. You know, I was wearing t-shirts from the 1970s that had come come down through hand-me-downs too. Um, So So you like vintage? Oh, I love vintage clothing. You have to (laughs) because you're in the vintage clothing business. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I really think um, that sort of interest in like design and art history really lends itself well to making visually stunning exhibitions. Mm -hmm. But then also my slightly unconventional background means that I really like speaking to people who love fashion, but then also some who might not consider themselves to be fashion enthusiasts because really this content relates to everyone. We all wear clothing. And if you can find a way to connect with one piece, you can understand other people's lives. You can think about their own subjectivity, you know, how they express themselves with their own clothing. So this is kind of like a a gateway design. It's a gateway form of art that usually gets people feeling like a little more comfortable with art and art history. Well, and your predecessor, Myra Walker, our mutual pal, you know, was a big part of the university's building the collection ongoing. And tell me what it's like to continue on that sort of legacy which, with such an esteemed collection like this. It's really a privilege. <laughs> it, it really is. Um, so when I started at the collection three and a half years ago as the director, I kind of inherited three decades of Myra Walker's mm. work. Um, Lucky she, you. I, exactly. Right? Exactly. <laughs> Hi, Myra. I know you're listening out there. We miss you. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to give her a round of applause later for all yes. her work. Um, so in Myra's 30 years at the collection, she more than doubled the number of artifacts we have. Um, she solicited um, relationships with people like Mercedes Bass, who's mm-hmm. a really important yeah. um, supporter right of the, the fashion road. arts. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and she also made a lot of inroads with a lot of um, art museums and cultural institutions, starting to curate exhibitions in other institution spaces since we don't have our own gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of just continuing her legacy with that. Um, but in some ways, I feel like I'm, I'm given a lot more leeway, a lot more agency to work because she was always a fashion design faculty member at the mm-hmm. university. So believe it or not, it was only half of her job nine months a year to run the collection. And now as a mm. staff person, I have 52 weeks a year, 40 hours a week, right. you know, plus some yeah, usually. Right. Sure. <laughs> sure I was going to say hours. 40. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but because it's work that I love, like yeah. I'm, I'm happy to immerse myself yeah. in this, to come to places like Austin to share, you know, these pieces in our collection. Um, we have pieces on loan around the country right now. Um, I speak with 12 year olds in their classrooms if they might want to be fashion design students. And I speak with, you know, women's groups in Dallas. I'm working Mm -hmm. with cultural institutions around the state, really. Wonderful. Um, So it's exciting to kind of build on Myra's legacy and get to share Mm -hmm. more of our collection. We are part of the state of Texas, and I think it's important that the public have access to to what we have. Absolutely. Well, Well, so go ahead. ahead. 
All right, I'll go first. Uh, with the actual exhibit that we're going to see very, very soon here, tell us how, because I know you were an integral part of selecting the specific pieces. Tell us about your vision and representing the Texas woman through the ages from, say, 1939 to the present. How did you, how did all that happen? Because there's a lot to that. Yeah, I'm lucky that the Bullock uh, Museum staff really gave me a lot of space to work and think, and then I pitched this exhibition to them. And um, luckily, they gave me very few um, comments, feedback, you know, ways that yeah. I needed to tweak things. Um, so my hope was to really start pretty early in the Neiman Marcus Awards history. Mm -hmm. um, so we start with a section on early American fashion designers, mm -hmm. kind of when American fashion designers were liberated from just copying French designs, yes. you know, which is most of what American fashion history was before the 1930s. Yeah. Um, so we have kind of these foundational, usually women designers who are creating things that were responsive to people's bodies that are easy to care for, easy to move in, mm -hmm. which is something that's really informed people's wardrobes today. You know, the concept of layering clothing so that you can mm -hmm. be comfortable, the idea of separates that you can mix and match based on how you want to present yourself. We kind of start the exhibition with that. Right. So I wanted things to be rooted in a history that's really specific to the, the subject of the mm -hmm. exhibition, which is really the Neiman Marcus Award winners. Right. Um, but then also make sure everything kind of relates to what people are wearing today. Kind of that like devil wears Prada cerulean yeah. moment. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Of why that exists, why fashion exists. Exactly, you know? exactly. Wow. So then everything people are seeing, they can kind of apply to their own wardrobes and then understand that what they're wearing has a history and an importance. Mm -hmm. And in a world where fast fashion is rampant, yes. remembering that our clothing has a legacy, that it fits within this you know, larger design context is really important for valuing what we do today. Absolutely. Um, so then after the early American sportswear designers, we have a section on French haute couture, which following World War II kind of had a renaissance. Mm -hmm. um, and that section has a lot of names people are very familiar with, mm -hmm. like Coco Chanel and Christian right. Dior. Sure. Um, Dior in his autobiography wrote an entire chapter about coming to Dallas to receive the Neiman Marcus Award. It was his first trip to, to the U.S. Yeah. to come to Dallas, yeah. believe it or not. <laughs> you know, that's a feather we should all be I wearing know. in our exactly. caps. <laughs> it's also a chapter or two in Stanley Marx's books, too, as you probably know from having read those. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Many of the designers yeah. featured in this exhibition are mentioned by name in Minding the Store. Yeah, yeah. And actually, some of there are some quotes in the exhibition from Stanley oh, Marcus's great. autobiography. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, because, you know, why not use the words of the person who helped shape what we're getting to absolutely. see in this exhibition? Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Now, speaking of the French Renaissance, did you ever see, it was only on for one season on Amazon, the collection. Did you I, ever see that? I have not, but I've heard it's wonderful. It really is. <laughs> After you, you leave the museum today, you have to start streaming You'll have that. to binge <laughs> it, yes. Yeah. Just go to my hotel and click through exactly. episode after episode. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You won't sleep tonight because you'll be mesmerized by it. It's really well done. And it's based loosely on uh, Dior and beyond, but it's sort of a, um, uh, an amalgamation of characters. I think you really like it. Oh, that sounds yeah, exciting. It's fun. Yeah. And the clothes are beautiful. Oh, yeah. It can't hurt to have some eye candy, That's right? right. <laughs> what do you think about current costuming with movies? I think we're kind of in a, a golden era of, of costume design. Yeah. I mean, there are people like Ruth Carter who are doing such innovative things, creating entire worlds. Like if we think about the movie Black Panther, mm -hmm. that she's drawing from African fashion history, yeah. um, traditional cultural dress, but then kind of um, creating an entirely new world just with, with clothing. Um, then you have people who are looking a little more specifically to moments in fashion history and trying to replicate what has existed in the past. Mm -hmm. You know, incredible examples with that, like... 
um, Anna Karenina. Mm -hmm. Like that Mm -hmm. movie was beautiful. And getting to see, you know, kind of those historic silhouettes recreated and in movement Mm -hmm. is something that we can't see in a fashion museum because our pieces will never be on human bodies again. So I feel like like seeing film is often a way to activate history Mm -hmm. and remind us that these, you know, we often think of history as being this dusty thing in the past, Mm -hmm. but there were real people who were wearing these things. Everything was contemporary once. And remembering that, I think, kind of connects us with the past in a deeper and more meaningful and personal way. When choosing the objects that appear in, in this museum retrospective, did you think, okay, this is a good example of fashion, but it hasn't held up well, but for the time it was really great? Or did you really have an eye to what the modern museum goer might be able to envision themselves wearing? For, your, for the female attendees? That's such an interesting question. Um, I feel like it might be a healthy dose of both in okay, some ways. That's so what I thought. There are a lot of moments where like, there are designers' names we still recognize with silhouettes that you can still see down the runway. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the concepts of like layering and mm-hmm. separates that we still incorporate in our wardrobes today. Um, but there are some pieces that feel kind of rooted in a specific mm-hmm. moment. Um, one example of that might be looking at the Hanamori pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a Japanese designer who career kind of um, grew to an international scale in the early 1970s and she received the Neiman Marcus Award almost at the same year that she opened her couture practice in mm-hmm. Paris as the cool. first Asian designer to, to do that which is kind of an incredible moment in yes. history sure. anyway so talented. Um, but I think her her garments are the ones in the exhibition are kind of rooted in the 70s they have this sort of like caftan inspired mm-hmm. um, you know kind of like a lounge clothing you can imagine kind of like a hostess ensemble mm-hmm. yeah. um, an elegant woman hosting someone in their home and that's a silhouette that I think we don't often see much today Um, but it's kind of interesting Mm -hmm. seeing how it fit with our idea of 1970s fashion in the U.S. Mm -hmm. but then also reflected the form of a kimono and as a Japanese Mm -hmm. designer being able to combine those two you know design perspectives to make something that was hyper fashionable Mm -hmm. in that moment is pretty fascinating so maybe not something everyone would like to you know take out of the case and bring home with them I don't know but something that's beautiful (laughs) yeah but it's pretty fantastic if you like it and, and you think it represents the designer and the, and the era. Oh, it's it's a stunning piece. Um, and Hanamori was also a textile designer. Mm-hmm. So even just appreciating the fabric and what it represents, what it looks like, you know, it's it's a work of art to, yeah. to be respected and honored. So, you know, we, we can um, maybe decide it, it could be great for a closet or not, but either way, it's a great piece to look but at. But it's there to enjoy. Exactly. That's the important part. So, so what particular era, eras are you particularly fascinated by from a fashion perspective? Ooh. Tough question. We got some hard balls here. We're not messing around. Oh, I think my answer to that might change every day almost. Um, Right now, I'm really fascinated by 1940s fashion. Yes. um, Particularly because there was this rise of ready-to-wear clothing that reflects... Like the Claire McArdles of the world. Oh, my gosh. One of my favorite designers. One of my favorites. Um, And then also thinking about um, sustainability and trying to be resourceful with materials, especially during World War II. There were a lot of restrictions put on, especially fashion manufacturing, Mm -hmm. um, which actually Stanley Marcus was the architect of a lot of those restrictions for the fashion manufacturing world with um, this thing called L85. Mm -hmm. Um, So he worked with a lot of people in the fashion design industry to figure out how to to save fabric so that the troops would have, you know, clothing to cover their bodies, which is important. Um, But I think that sort of idea of being, you know, thoughtful about how you use materials, thinking about where they're sourced from, Mm -hmm. um, being able to mend and make do is a lesson that I think we could all take with 
with our clothing mm, today. Right. Um, so sometimes I think those moments of a little bit of austerity are kind of interesting. Right. Um, but then as we think towards the middle and end of the 1940s, we think about Christian Dior's new look yeah. and, you know, all of this fabric that's now available after World War II that these silhouettes just kind of explode yes. um, with Dior's new look with a nipped in waist and full skirt, you know, kind of our ideas of 1950s femininity. So it's a moment when there's this real tension between World War II style mm-hmm. and then post-war. Um, I think there are a lot of um, ideas that are kind of in friction, um, you know, in conflict with each other in that moment. And I think it's really fun to study that, yes. see how people are responding, um, you know, saying, you know, M- Mr. Dior is, you know, so oppressive making women, you know, cover their ankles again and wear these mm-hmm. fussy girdles and mm-hmm. corsets. You know, I just want the the World War II styles or people saying, I'm tired of dressing kind of like a man. I'd like to reclaim my femininity and the yeah. place that that holds in, in society. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it sounds kind of like a second wave feminist conversation yeah, no, <laughs> from yeah, the yeah, 1940s. But it was very <laughs> controversial back yeah. then. Absolutely. You know, women had this this freedom that was sort of almost constricted again from a clothing standpoint. So I think that's very fascinating to look at, which represented society back then. Absolutely. And some of that history is represented beautifully in this exhibition. So I'm glad everyone will get to come and see that. <laughs> well, who are some of your pop cultural style icons personally? Who do you, who are you loving or who did you grow up loving as a little girl in Kansas and you you saw you know, whomever it was at the time, or you read books, or you learned more about that, or watched movies, who would you, who were some of your top picks? Oh, I think my very favorite one is Katherine Hepburn. She That's is a such a one. powerful person and that she presented such a like a strong form of femininity, especially through mm-hmm. her clothing, is something that mm-hmm. I think is really aspirational. Um, in fact, there's an exhibition open at the Frick in um, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, highlighting some of her clothing right now. Um, so who knows? Maybe there are some of our, our friends who might be visiting Pittsburgh and get to see those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> After they see this exhibit. Oh, of course. course. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is job one because it so, it's going to be so special. And so spectacular and truly going to speak to the, um, the Texas consumer and, and, and the fashionable consumer for sure. It is. So um, we always like to ask this question of most of our guests. And I got to imagine yours are going to be very fascinating answers. <laughs> Who are five people from history you would want to have at a dinner party? Oh, goodness. Um, Bonnie Cashin would be at the top of my list. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good choice. And why? Um, um, so Bonnie Cashin is an American sportswear designer. There's a piece by her that will be in the exhibition. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's someone who kind of proclaimed that, you know, chic, chic is where you find it, that everyone can have a sense of style and be kind of um, innovative and, and daring and bold with how they present themselves. Um, she felt that clothing is something that should inspire you and add to your life, but also be really practical mm-hmm. um, so for example when she was designing house coats and house dresses she made sure there were big pockets in them okay. um, because people often carry things with them so you kind of need pockets for that imagine that yeah and I, I think that um, that thought that aesthetics are really important but then also the functionality of mm-hmm. something I feel like she and I would be kindred spirits thinking through that um, so she'd be at the top of my list um, I've done a lot of research on Ladybird Johnson mm-hmm. so I would love um, um, to, you know, get to to re, re, revisit her, um, you know, beyond just the work I've done in archives. I think she was a really complex person who was navigating, you know, a really interesting space in history with her marriage, with her position as first lady, you know, following Jackie Kennedy and, you know, the almost impossible position that put her in. Mm-hmm. Um, having such grace in that position, I have a lot of respect for her. Absolutely. What What do you like about her style? 
Um, I think she did a really great job kind of like code switching with her clothing, which is is something I think a lot of us do. Tell Um, us about code switching. um, So code switching is when you understand that maybe you're in two kind of different cultural spaces and that you need to kind of fit into both of them and that 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 requires maybe a different way of speaking or a different way of presenting yourself. Um, So for example, if we go to the LBJ Presidential Library um, in Austin, we can see examples of clothing that Lady Bird selected specifically um, to show her legacy as First Lady. Mm -hmm. Um, So she has a lot of American designers a lot of pieces that relate to kind of like an international perspective that might have been made with fabric that was given to her by cultural ambassadors from around the world, showing a really global perspective that was kind of a little bit fashion forward, even though, especially compared to Jackie Kennedy, she was kind of fighting an uphill battle trying to be a fashionable woman in the Mm -hmm. late 60s. Um, But then I just spent some time at the LBJ National Historical Park, which isn't too far from here. And much of her clothing there is a little more relaxed. It's more casual. A lot of of it has like ranch hand- wear exactly yeah. exactly there are like blue bonnets hand painted on some of her straw hats yeah. um, so seeing that those two um, different wardrobes relate right. to each other and show who she is as a woman who's really feminine and um, being sophisticated in her own way but that she's speaking to two different contexts I find that that balance that juggling really compelling um, yeah. and I think especially if you look at news coverage for Lady Bird during her time as first lady she went from being cast as someone whose ankles were a little too thick and she was a little too frumpy to someone who had kind of harnessed what it meant to be a fashionable woman in that time period. So then more of the news coverage was that she looked beautiful and she's doing all of these really innovative political things yeah. helping our country. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I think she's a really interesting figure. And as someone who grew up on a farm, seeing someone who's, you know, kind of chosen to be a public mm-hmm. figure, not because right. she, you know, has the grace of Lauren Bacall, but because she's kind of an every woman thrust into this position. Absolutely. I think that's something a lot of people can relate yes. to. Absolutely. Ooh, those are great ones. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Wow, I wasn't expecting all that, but I'm (laughs) delighted to hear that perspective because um, Lady Bird was a a very solid person, did a lot of things for a lot of people, just her her efforts with making America beautiful. And, I mean, Austin. Austin wouldn't be what it is today without her. And, I mean, she's probably the seminal person as to why people are so allured to Austin, especially with all the preservation she did around Town Lake, which is now Lady Bird Lake. Yeah. It, you know, it. she really has left a lasting legacy on this city. And, well, and everyone the, who lives here really owes her a debt of gratitude. And her family continues that legacy as well. They who absolutely do. They're such great Every day. folks. Yeah, Every day. Yeah, awesome. So, all right, so tell us about, in one word, if you had to describe this exhibit that you've worked so hard on, what would that word be? Oh, you all do ask hard questions. <laughs> We're toughies. Um, I would hope thought-provoking. I, I think hyphenated words I, are welcome. I, I, thank you. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> it's almost cheating so a little almost bit. Like a, that's like one and a half words. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Thought-provoking. So, and and it seems like creating a conversation and continuing a conversation as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I hope um, kind of as people are walking through this exhibition, it's arranged chronologically towards um, the end of the exhibition. There's a space um, to practice like draping fabric and imagine like how you might design something. And I think that kind of invites visitors to see themselves as part of this like arc of fashion history that you're like kind of in this moment right now. So we can look back to the 30s, 40s, 50s, but then this continues into 2019 and 2020 as well. Amazing and beyond. Well, Annette Becker, you're such a delight to know. Thank you for being a part of this today thank you it's so great to speak with we, you all thank you for letting us and in, in, you know interrupt your day <laughs> oh well it's a nice break from, from oh moving some God. of the mannequins I know you're moving these <laughs> gowns and you know no one's gonna have any peanut butter sandwiches around those gowns i mean it is oh yeah <laughs> curated museum quality right 
right? I Absolutely. mean, it's only the best. And we're just so glad to know you. And thank you for being here today. Oh, thank you both. I appreciate yeah. your work. Thank you for, and I'm thank you for to being be here. here. Thank well, everyone, you. I'm Lance Every Morgan. And I'm Rob Giardinelli, signing off on Success with Style, reminding you of a great style starts by having a unique point of view. Have a great day, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye.